Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. In an orchestra, every musician must submit themselves to the conductor. A good conductor wants each musician to excel in displaying their talents. The submission of the musicians to the conductor does not restrict them, but enables them in coordination with the other musicians to produce music that surpasses what could be produced by any one of them individually. The authority of the conductor is good, and the submission of the musicians is good. And the end result is a thing of beauty. Jesus is Lord. That is the most basic Christian confession. Lord means master. So we might just say, Jesus is master. As a master, Jesus owns you along with every other Christian. He has purchased us with his own blood, and we belong to him. In addition to being our Lord, Jesus is also our husband. And God is our Father. Each of those names, Lord, Husband, Father, all imply authority. Fundamental to the Christian life is learning to bring our heart and life under submission to the Lord, our Father, our Husband. The Christian hope is meaningless without believing that all who abide there will be brought into perfect submission to Him. Submission should not be viewed as demeaning to the Christian. Submission, rightly understood, is beautiful. Submission to Christ enables every Christian to blossom and flourish as a human being. This is not what the world teaches us. The world teaches us that all submission is inherently oppressive. Abuse of authority abounds in our sinful world. But neither authority nor submission is to blame. Otherwise, God would be wrong to establish himself as our authority and require submission from us. Christ is the ultimate authority, and every human authority must in some way subordinate itself to Christ. And I would say, as a matter of qualification... Whenever you find yourself under some human authority, your, your submission to that human authority goes only so far as they do not ask you to disobey your ultimate authority. 
The Christian cannot do away with the human authority because, because you're in Christ. But when that human authority asks you to disobey Christ, you must stand with him as your ultimate authority. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. There's a lot of different gray areas involved in that, but... If an authority commands you to do something that's morally wrong, you should disobey it. If an authority calls you to deny your faith in Christ or to participate in ungodly worship, you should disobey. If an authority forbids you to believe the truth or to engage uh, in the worship, uh, forbids you to worship, forbids you to engage in the worship of God, you should disobey them. The general principle, though, is that even when you refuse to submit, you ought to be making this choice out of a higher submission to Christ. In our passage today, Paul focuses on three human relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves. As a way of background, there were many, both Greek and Roman, codes of the day where people would address the, the, the people and tell them how to live. And so Paul is actually adopting a very Greco-Roman practice in addressing Roman households, Greek and Roman households. But in those Greco-Roman uh, codes, they only address the one in authority. Paul separates from them. He actually addresses those under authority, which actually gives honor and value to those under authority. So let's begin with verses 8. Well, let's read the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll come back to 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Beginning with wives and husbands. At its very basic meaning, submission is to place yourself under someone else's authority. Submission makes you vulnerable. Authorities have been established by God for our good, but in a fallen world, submission can lead to being hurt and is often scary. God might have established the husband-wife relationship without authority, but then marriage would not reflect Christ's relationship to the church. In marriage, uh, Douglas Moo says, the wife puts herself under her husband in recognizing and living out an order established by the Lord himself. 
While we will see in just a moment that the husband must always strive to exercise his authority with Christ-like love, he is never required or called upon to relinquish his position of authority. In other words, it is not biblical to establish a marriage in which the roles are reversed. This being said, there are wrong and unhealthy ideas of submission in the church. And I am very sympathetic to women who have been treated as inferior by their husbands. The husband and the wife are equals. And while submission does involve the wife willingly placing herself under the authority of her husband, it does not imply that the husband should think of her as inferior to himself. And what I'm going to try to flesh out to bring this out to you today is what I call the one flesh principle. There is a dynamic of the marriage relationship called one flesh. The two will become one flesh. And that dynamic should greatly affect how we understand submission in the marriage relationship. Now, there are many types of submission in the Bible and in life that do not include the one flesh principle. And let me just give you a couple. The enemies of Christ will spend eternity in subjection to him. The submission of a wife to her husband will look very differently than the submission of enemies to Christ. Secondly, David's army submits to him as their commander. I present to you that the submission of a wife to her husband will look very different than the submission of a subordinate to their commander. The creation itself submits to Christ as he makes use of it. Certainly that does that in an involuntary way. The submission of a child to their parents, we'll get into this in a little bit, looks very different than the submission of a wife to her husband. I dare say that the husband would not order his wife to go clean his, her room. Demons submit to Jesus Christ. You would not want to com compare demonic submission to the submission of a wife. Christians are called to submit to government authorities. Again, I would not see the comparison between a wife submitting to her husband and government authorities. When the form of submission of a wife to her husband begins to look like one of these other forms of submission, I think there is a problem. If submission in any way discourages the one flesh principle, it's not the submission that God desires. It's taking a step back. I believe that within the Trinity, and particularly with the incarnate Son, which we're so rejoicing about today, there is a higher and far more beautiful picture of, of submission there. The Son, in 1 Corinthians 15, well, I should say the Father, God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. 
When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So in other words, the Son, even after he is above all other authorities, he willingly submits himself to his heavenly Father. Now, more to the husband-wife relationship. Ephesians 5.24 says that, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The as in that text is in the same way. The submission of the wife to her husband should reflect the submission that the church will enjoy in all eternity with Christ. Now let me just tell you a few things about that. Maybe they're not surprising. Maybe they are. Number one... The church will reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Demons do not reign with Christ. But the bride does. To reign with someone is more than simply taking orders from them. The church exercises wisdom and judgment in all things with Jesus Christ. If that's true of the eternal relationship between Christ and his bride, then it ought to be true and reflected to some degree in the husband-wife relationships now. Secondly, I would argue that Jesus considers his bride to be his intellectual equal. You might challenge me on that one, but I believe it's true. It's a massive statement. Even though Jesus is fully divine, he's omniscient in a way that we can't quite grasp. In order to enable the church to fulfill her role as a co-regent, God gives nothing less than the Holy Spirit to her. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A lot of ways that this is helpful. But you need to understand that Jesus does not consider the church inferior. Just do what I tell you to do. You can't understand this. No, he gives her the Holy Spirit so that she can think like him and be his helpmate. Jesus wants the bride to know what he knows. Husbands should not want to inhibit in any way their wife's hunger for truth. They should encourage it. Husbands and wives will look at life from different perspectives, but men should respect and learn from the perspective of their wives. You see, Jesus and the church are also one flesh. This is not a physical union. It is a union of the whole person. I should say it's not a physical union alone. But it's a union of the whole person. The one flesh dynamic between a husband and wife transforms, I believe, the concept of submission to a whole new level. And that's why Ephesians 5 makes it very clear that that the wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Women are not inferior to men. Period. The husband has the role of the head in the relationship. The woman is called to willingly submit herself to that headship. There cannot be two independent heads. If you said so, you would actually subvert the whole authority of Christ to the church. But wives are not called to a form of submission that would in any way demean them. Jesus is not looking, I hate to be, this is pretty strong. Jesus is not looking for an obedient dog in his bride. He's not issuing eternal orders to be obeyed as a commander. He wants a one flesh relationship with his bride. Let's move on to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The command of a husband to love his wife would not have been found in the Greek or Roman codes. Again, Ephesians 5 is, is helpful to us. It says, love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And also in verse 28, as their own bodies. In other words, it's this eternal relationship between Christ and the church that should define us as in our marriages. You see, I believe Paul has probably gotten reports that some of the Colossians' husbands were being harsh with their wives. And so he gives them a direct command. You are called to not be harsh with your spouse. Do not embitter them. Why would a husband be tempted to be harsh with his spouse? Because he wants to control her. Only this is not the way that Christ treats the church. Jesus taught his disciples, I don't exercise my authority like the world exercises their authority. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus entered into a servitude on behalf of his bride. Husbands, this is what God calls us to Husbands, what would your children say? Would your children say that your leadership is so imbibed with servitude that it may even at times look like mom's the boss? When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he did not abdicate his authority. But he did a turn what it meant to exercise that authority upside down. Elders of the church, I speak directly to you right now. Not only is this a direct command to husbands, 
It is also a direct command to us as leaders of the church to in some way, if we can, I know how difficult this can be, to protect women from abusive husbands. Being in Christ should transform the husband-wife relationship. That's what this is all about. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to the bride of Christ eternally, it'll be made up of men and women. The next relationship is between children and parents. And again, the union with Christ and the eternal relationship of every Christian with God as Father should affect and transform the home relationships. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, kids, you should know that the fact that he actually speaks directly to you should give you importance and value. One of the most basic, fundamental, uh, most core values of the Christian life is trying to submit your heart to God as Father. Every day of your life. Your parents have to do this just as much as you do, kids. Do you know why God gave you parents, kids? Because He wants to give you a human relationship in which you can begin to learn what it means to obey your Heavenly Father. It's training what it is. Obedience is not something, kids, that you have to do for a few years and then you get out on your own and... Forget that obedience thing. It is there as training ground for a life of obedience. The point is not really obedience to your parents at all. The point is learning how to obey God. In fact, if a parent were to train their children in such a way that obedience to them is the main point, They're setting themselves up as an idol. A rival to God. I hope every parent tells their kids repeatedly, there will come a day when you will not be directly obeying me anymore. But there will never be a day when you will not be directly called to obey God as your father. And kids, you have to understand this. God is trying to help you with adult obedience. The more you fight against your parents, the harder it will be to obey God later in life. Hmm. Maybe that's why I have such a difficult time of it sometimes. That being said, the the form of submission of a child to their parent changes over time. When you're a five-year-old, you tell your kid to go do something, they need to go do it. When that kid is 30 years old, you do not give the same command. And I say this to parents and kids alike, we all know that, but those transition years are hard. It is hard to figure that out. 
It is also true, and I think very central to this text, that sometimes it is harder to please your earthly parents than it is to please the Lord. Did you hear that? Sometimes it is harder to please your earthly parents than it is to please the Lord. See, Paul feels necessary to tell the parents, particularly the fathers, but I think mothers involved as well, do not provoke your children. Now, there are many ways that you can provoke, but my guess is that he's talking about being harsh with them, overly strict, unable to be pleased. You know, parents, kids can be irritating. Let's let you know that, kids. You often can be irritating, as cute as you are. <laughs> the parent wants the child to be compliant. That's a good desire. What discipline is for. But it's easy to turn a good desire into being harsh and demanding of your children. Instead of being able to please your parent, they always see the worst. You always fall short. And I would tell you as kids, and I'm not making any judgments, I'm not picking out families, or I'm not, it's just, this is just general, I think from the principle of the text. Kids, if you cannot please your father or your mother, take to heart that you can please your heavenly father. God, your heavenly Father, is moving you towards perfection. You are not there yet, but He does not demand of you perfection today. He is pleased with your sincere yet imperfect attempts at obedience. I say that to you kids. I, I just want you to know that. God's happy when you're wobbling along trying to figure out how to take the next step. And fathers and mothers, be sensitive to the discouragement of your kids. I'm telling you, the world will beat them down. I hope you try to become their greatest encourager. I hope you're the one that believes in them when no one else believes in them. And I would say also to parents, enjoy your kids. Even in their imperfections, let them know that you are pleased with them. Yes, there must be moments of discipline, but may they be moments and not the thrust of the entire relationship. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. He didn't do this so they could give them spankings. And I'm for corporate punishment. Jesus wanted to bring those kids into his presence and love them. Now we come to the master-slave relationship. Both ancient and modern slavery in its various forms has a common, in common the basic fact that one human owns and is virtually, has virtually ultimate control over another. That's Doug Moo, and I think it's absolutely correct. So while there are some parallels between the slave-master relationship and the employee-employer relationship, I don't think that's the thrust of this passage. And I know that in our culture today, 
and even in the church, many embrace that slavery in every form is evil. I don't follow that reasoning. The Bible does not condemn slavery. And I know it's very difficult for us to figure out why it doesn't. And I'm okay with people struggling through with that, but it doesn't. And I'd say that even before you get it figured out in your head and try to work it all out, don't place yourself above the Bible. You're not somehow smarter than the Bible. It's my opinion that God does not condemn slavery because it provides one important aspect of our relationship to Him. We are many things to God. We are His children, we are His bride, but we are also His slaves. In fact, Paul over and over and over again calls himself a doulos of Christ, which means slave. Rather than condemning slavery in principle, the Bible will rip out every evil that is attached to slavery due to a fallen world. I do believe that human slavery is a product of the fall. I do not believe that human slavery will exist in eternity, but neither will marriage. Jesus is eternally master of his people. And you will not mind calling him master. It's a good thing. If God were to condemn slavery outright, he would be condemning himself. This whole issue has lots of sensitivity. I understand that. I just want you to see the goodness of the text today. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I believe that Paul actually gives more time to the master-slave relationship because he has incredible empathy for the slave. <clears throat> Under a good master, the slave should be free to follow his conscience. But due to sin, most slaves had very little freedom, if any at all, to follow their own conscience. Paul understands that dynamic of the master forcing slaves to do things that they don't want to do. And Paul wants to give the slave an internal freedom that no human master could ever take from them. Paul actually encourages these believing slaves to more diligently obey their masters because they're in Christ than if they weren't in Christ. See, earthly masters can be cruel. They, can, they don't have to give you rewards. What does Paul say here? He says to the slave, when you obey that earthly master, you're not really obeying him at all. In your heart and in your mind, you're obeying Christ. And you know what? In Christ, slaves have an eternal inheritance. Just like the rest of believers. Slave or free, doesn't matter. It's interesting. It's almost like a hidden joke almost on the master. 
The master's like, wow, you're really obeying me. You're doing great. This is really neat. You must really like me. And inside, the slave's going, I'm obeying Jesus. And now Jesus becomes the defender of the slave who belongs to him. See, because now the slave actually belongs to Jesus. So if a master treats the slave poorly, guess what Jesus says? You're messing with my boy. See, for one, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You start mistreating my, my child, the member of my bride... You see, Paul cuts at the evil of slavery. If a master were actually to, to serve like Jesus' master, oh, it would be a wonderful thing. He'd be serving the, the slave, doing whatever he could for the slave. See, the slave does possess inalienable rights. Now, I hope a lot of this has been encouraging, challenging. What I really, when I started this whole message, what I noticed about this passage was that everything in the passage, every command was somehow affected and altered by being in Christ. That's, that's, if you just look at it in the Lord, pleasing the Lord, you know, fearing the Lord, the reward is from the Lord. I mean, all these things, it's all about Christ. And that's why he says, whatever you do, it ought to be done in the Lord. So no matter where you are in life, kids, you might have some really bad days with your parents. You're in Christ. Remember him as you try to obey your parents parents you might lose your temper with your kids and are harsh with them remember that you're in christ confess to your kids and go back to them and and tell them i'm sorry i didn't reflect christ at that time we don't have the master slave relationship anymore but i think it does help us to understand that christ is our true master He is our loving master. You will never have a more benevolent master than the Lord Jesus Christ. As you are united to Jesus Christ, you have God as your father. You will never have a more perfect, more gentle, more loving father than your heavenly father. I don't care how good your parents are. They pale in comparison to who Christ is and the father is. And ultimately, God is bringing every one of us, women, men, kids, adults, He's bringing every one of us to a place where we are one in Christ and we will reign with Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. And so today, I just don't want you to ever leave here thinking submission is a bad thing. Oh, it can be a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be. And we should all rejoice that one day we will all be perfectly submitted to Christ and declare openly to everyone, Jesus is Lord.
Amen.